Jesus Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. chapter 1, verses 5 to 38. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed by fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will persuade many Israelites to turn to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing a people for his arrival. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also very well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you don't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realised from his gestures that he must have seen a vision in the temple sanctuary. He stayed at the temple until his term of service was over, and then he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, 
She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. For God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. Everyone, how are we doing? You all right? Good. Didn't Becca do an incredible job of that? Really long reading. Excellent job, Becca. And happy birthday. <laughs> Sorry. Um, for those of you who hadn't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Alice. Really nice to, um, to see your wonderful faces this morning. Um, and for those of you that have maybe been a bit more observant uh, of late, I think Christmas is on the way. Well, it's certainly on the way in my hospital. And it came in the form, uh, as I arrived at work, um, feeling quite miserable last weekend, to uh, six maintenance men manhandling what can only be described as the most monstrosity of a tree in front of our hospital. So Christmas has definitely arrived at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust. And I had to, I was really a bit late, but I had to just sit and watch this comedy gold moment as these six guys tried to put on these lights to this massive tree. And all I could think was, I really hope someone's already plugged them in to make sure it's working, because otherwise this is going to be a wasted venture. But there's real joy in this season, isn't there? And even more so for us, uh, those that are following Jesus, coming into this Advent period, because while the rest of the world are building to the anticipation of surviving the Christmas period, we're entering into the hope-filled anticipation of Christ coming to reign again in glory and establish the kingdom of, heaven, of God on earth as it is in heaven. Hope that goes way beyond the 25th of December. Amen? Amen. Great. And not only waiting for his return in glory, but that we get to live out the kingdom here on earth, as in, as in heaven, in the spirit, knowing the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us and pours out of us. We get to partner in that now. So this is no bar humbug. This is the real advent. And we're going to be unpacking this over the next three weeks as we hone in on these three characters that we've heard about this morning. Elizabeth, Zachariah, Mary. Anyway, question for you all. How long is it before you get uncomfortable about a silence in a conversation? 
Raise your hand if you start to get a bit uncomfortable after two seconds. The person stops talking after two seconds. Okay, yeah, so we've got some talkers in the house here. Yeah, Josie. <laughs> Five seconds. Oh, we've got some therapeutic conversationalists here. Okay, 10 seconds. Okay, yeah, fair enough. 30 seconds. Any, like, counsellors in the house who can just ride with that silence? Yes, okay. Well, research suggests that in the UK, most people get uncomfortable after about four seconds in a conversation. Which, for those of us who just need a bit of time to process, ain't long enough. But anyway, is that even much the case among sign language, people that communicate via British Sign Language? Four seconds and the person's starting to get itchy. Because silence can get a bit uncomfortable, can't it? Makes us shuffle in our seats. But there are times where silence goes beyond just feeling uncomfortable, where it feels heavy, it feels painful. We've heard a bit about that this morning, those moments where silence from the 50th job we've applied for and heard nothing back from. Silence from the heartfelt letter you wrote to a family member that you're trying desperately to be reconciled with. Silence in the house that once contained the people you love and now is empty. Silence from the WhatsApp message you sent to a friend living in a war zone, not knowing whether they're dead or alive. Silence the prayers you've prayed for so many years and nothing appears to change. In a world filled with so much noise, those moments of silence that we desperately try to avoid expose the pain and the brokenness of the world we live in. We're in good company in this passage because these Israelites that we are honing in on had known silence for 400 years. The passage we've read today comes after roughly 400 years of what is described as the intertestamental period, a period of prophetic silence to the people of Israel. We know the Old Testament was rich in God's promises and often correction of the people of Israel. And there's a lot of it, isn't there? Then the last prophet to speak, Malachi. We love that name, don't we? Particularly in this room. His name means messenger of God, the last prophet to speak. And it wasn't like God didn't need to speak because there was a lot going on at that time. The Israelites were an occupied people serving under a ruling, not kind kingdom that kept changing hands, only to get more brutal. What does the passage say? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron, both of them righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. In comes Zechariah and Elizabeth. Pretty inconsequential characters. Zechariah was a priest, but along with about 20,000 others. Not only did they carry the weight of God's silence to the people of Israel, but they also knew God's silence in their own prayers. Family and inheritance was the foundation of this culture, this moment in history to bear children, for them to care for you, was what's expected of everyone in that society. You grow up, you marry a suitable partner, you have children, and then you inherit what, they've, what you've built for them. And to be honest, not so wildly dissimilar from our own. And so to be unable to have children for Zachariah and Elizabeth, not just left them feeling like social outcasts, but like God himself had turned away from them. Silence in the hurting. When all you want to do is cry out, God, where are you? God, have you heard me? Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Silence. Maybe this is resonating with you this morning. 
And can I just say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you showed up. Because you're in the presence of people who are here with you. And more importantly, a loving father who, as we're going to see, wants to hold on to you even when you can't hold on. So stay with me, okay? In the Old Testament, there's a story about a man called Job. He had everything, the richest man in the region. And in a moment, it all got taken away from him. And he is left being consoled by friends who, rather than bringing comfort, basically tell him on repeat that it's his fault for about 30 chapters. What does Job say? He describes, he, he describes God. He alone has spread out the heavens and marched on the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear, the Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Yet when, I come, when he comes near, I can't see him. When he moves, I do not see him go. Job is clear on the power that God has. But it's also clear that he can't see him. Where are you, God? If I could just see your face, if I could just see you, that would be enough. That's what Job goes on, goes on to say. I listened recently to a conversation between Tim Mackey and John Collins of the Bible Project where they explored Job's outpouring. Desperately crying out to God from a deep place of aloneness and hurt and yet repeatedly asking to just see God knowing that this would change everything. And it really confronted me. Is that what I cry out for in a place of pain? Or do I give God the solution and say, here's my answer. That's what I want you to do. Do I lean into the truth that we've been hearing about in our series in Philippians? That God, you are enough, even when I have nothing. Even if my situation isn't resolved as I want it to be, would it be enough just to see you? Like Job, Zachariah and Elizabeth carry the weight and the pain of an aching heart. And I don't know what they prayed. I can imagine they were familiar with the groanings too deep for words. And yet what we see, like Job, they kept on showing up, kept on pressing in, trusting that God was going to show up, even in the moments where he seemed silent. And then God speaks in a way they weren't expecting. Zechariah gets this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense in the holy place. He does that on behalf of the people of Israel. He's representing the people of Israel before God. Immense privilege. I'm going to serve before the Lord. There's two of the priests that are chosen with him. They walk up to the temple on temple steps together, either side of him, climbing them steadily. And all three enter the holy place. One priest sets burning coals on the golden altar. The other priest arranges the incense so it's ready to go. And then they leave him in the temple, in the holy place, left alone, praying, interceding on behalf of an entire nation. Where does your heart go in that moment? Silence. But not silence. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make a people prepared for the Lord." 
Apart from the fear and terror that I imagine he was feeling, probably some embarrassment. I was meant to be coming to the Lord with the weight of the nation. I was coming on behalf of the people, not my own stuff. But God cut straight to the chase. He knows what's in Zachariah's heart. I see you, I know you, and I have a plan for you. Yes, I'm dealing with the weight of the world. I've got that covered. But let's talk about what's on your heart this morning. And I'm going to answer your prayers in a way you're not expecting. And actually might make you a bit uncomfortable. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Why was that important when Gabriel said that? It's actually a quotation from Malachi, chapter 4. Okay? That, that last prophet, prophet that, that friend of ours, the messenger of God, the last prophet to speak. These were essentially the last words in the Old Testament. And now God's revelation is resuming exactly where he's left off. I haven't forgotten you. I had a plan all along. 400 years may have marked prophetic silence, but God had not checked out. And in fact, this is the moment where he checks right in, gets down into the dirt with the people who rejected him to come and rescue us. God may have been silent, but he's not finished with us yet. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The weary world, does that feel familiar? The weary world rejoices. Rejoices because even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And you're not afraid of my doubt either. Because Zachariah, in the presence of the Lord, comes straight back to the angel Gabriel. Well, can I just check, God, that you understand the scientific improbability of this? Because there's something called the menopause. Uh, I'm sure that they were probably even worse at talking about the menopause than we are in this present moment. Because <laughs> it can be a real isolating journey. And can I just say, just as God saw Elizabeth in that moment, for those of you that are walking that journey, he sees you too. When the world passes you by, tells you it'll pass, and the medical profession ignores the anguish that it causes on your body, God sees you. He sees the heavy cost on your body, and he has a plan for you too. He's not written you off, and we need you here as part of this body of believers. Okay? Didn't think you were going to hear him. Talk about the menopause this morning, did you? But anyway. Into the silence, God has spoken and everything has changed. Elizabeth goes away for the first five months of her pregnancy, not to hide, because the early stages, there's nothing to see. But I wonder if there's something about protecting this transformation that's taking place inside of her. She needs to let it take root. Because the world looking on, nothing has changed. The Israelites are still living under occupation. The world is still dark. God still seems silent. But the truth is that everything has changed and it'll never be the same again. God is on the move. Watching the sunrise feels a bit like this. Even before you're awake, the sun was rising, even though you couldn't see it. And even if you slept right through it, it didn't need you to get up in order for it to happen. You might see a photo appear on the screen of a sunrise photo that I took earlier in the week on a walk. Because I'm the sunrise. I'm not a sunset sort of a person. I'm asleep by then. Sunrise, yes. Maybe you were busy in getting ready for work. You probably missed the sky getting lighter, the sun breaking through. There'll be a moment when all of a sudden our eyes are aware of a large burning ball of gas lighting up the land around us. I mean, it looked more spectacular than my rubbish phone could take. 
As a result, everything's changed. The darkness has gone. The night has ended. This true hope doesn't stick its head in the stands and deny the presence of darkness. True hope acknowledges the pain and sinfulness that wreaks havoc on this world. But it also remembers this is not the end of the story. In Alpha this week, we were looking at the question, why did Jesus die? And wrestling through that question about the present suffering we see in the world. And one member of our group, who's normally pretty quiet, spoke to their revelation that just shook the conversation. Jesus is the guarantee that we can be sure this darkness has been defeated because we worship a risen Jesus. Why has it taken me so many years of following Jesus? And they just put it so succinctly, what Nikki Gumbel takes several weeks to unpack in an Alpha series. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. How do we respond in this Advent season? Well, we use those song words, let every heart prepare him room. There is plenty out there that will fill the silence. Enough Netflix Christmas films, they're getting to get worse every year. Social media feeds, work, relationships, even church meetings that we can use to fill that silence. But there's an invitation to each one of us here this Advent, not to try and fill the silence with cheap attempts to satisfy, but instead to allow God himself to come and inhabit the space. He won't force his way in. We prepare the place for him. We create the space for him to come and hold us when we can't hold on, to speak direction where we need direction, counsel where we need wisdom, conviction where our hearts do not have him at the centre of them. There's an invitation to surrender wholeheartedly to him and you might be surprised by what he's got to say. Will you prepare him room today? In the silence, into the darkness, will you prepare him room and allow the light of the risen sun, resurrected, reigning in heaven, and he will pour in light and life to transform not just our circumstances, because God's got bigger plans than that. His plan is for restoration of this whole earth. Jesus, your way, not my way. That's what we heard this morning, wasn't it? You didn't think you were going to get a sermon at the start of a Christmas series that starts off with Job. Nonetheless, one that finishes with Job. But Job was not going to let go until he met God. And that was going to take a wrestle. And for some of us here, there's going to be a wrestle. I encourage you to bring people alongside you in that. He didn't let the darkness consume him or swallow him up because he knew that God was enough. And he wasn't going to let go until he saw the Lord. Job 19, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last and after my body is decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I'm overwhelmed with the thought. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to this this morning. Because there's a question and a question requires a response, doesn't it? And we're going to do that in the quiet. We're going to take communion. Communion is a physical reminder that as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything has changed. When we choose to follow Jesus, he invites us to share in this meal 
as a reminder of what he has done for us. I am a new creation, no more living under guilt, shame, or condemnation. By taking the meal this morning, we're reminding our souls, I follow Jesus and he is enough. Maybe this morning you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You're so welcome here. And I'm really glad you chose to come this morning. I'd love to hear your story afterwards. So please come and say hello. But don't feel you need to go and get communion. That's okay. That's for those who are following Jesus. Just receive the blessing that Jesus is here and he's wanting to reveal himself to you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what I'm going to invite you to do, and we're going to do this quietly, which may for some of us feel more uncomfortable than others. As we've demonstrated, we're probably more comfortable with that than we, with the average. Um, what I'm going to invite you to do is just to get up, and then you'll see some different stations around, um, some bread and some juice. I want you to take one of each and just bring it back to your seat and remain standing, and then I'm just going to walk us through taking that together. Mm-hmm.